Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. As a mom, vegan of 20 years, and entrepreneur, I need a lot of energy, and I turn to Athletic Greens to help me out. Athletic Greens is part of the daily nutrition regimen for thousands of top performers, professional athletes, and health-conscious go-getters worldwide, including USA cycling and endurance athletes. So I knew I would trust them. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food-sourced ingredients. And it's a comprehensive all-in-one greens powder engineered to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet and support your body's nutritional needs across the four pillars of health, gut health, immune system, energy, and recovery. And these are all things that I'm super interested in. I put a scoop in my smoothie in the morning, and it feels amazing to know that I'm set up to feel my best and sustain my energy all day long. Try for yourself at athleticgreens.com slash yoga. That's athleticgreens.com slash lit yoga and get lit up. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today I have on Allison Pillow. Allison began her career in holistic health by first spending 15 years as a competitive gymnast. So we talk about that. 15 years. She's probably able to do some stuff I am not able to do for sure. But she then went on to get an exercise science degree from Georgia State University while also working part-time as a gymnastics coach and fitness professional. So she was always very interested in the body, but then began to layer more elements to health after her own health had drastically changed. So we talk about all of this and how she compiled her own experiences, her own education. She went back to get a master level course in holistic health, nutrition, exercise science, and rehabilitation. She's got a lot under her belt in terms of great knowledge and experience. And she compiles it all in her new book. We talk about this book, which is really to help you with self-care and learning to thrive. It's called Finally Thriving. And I'm so excited for you to listen to Allison. Welcome, Allison. So happy to have you on today. Thank you, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's always such an honor to talk to other people that are in the wellness and fitness world and especially ones who've gone the 
the next level and written a book and and you've written a book called Finally Thriving. So I'd love to learn more about your path to getting there and maybe backtrack to your earlier years in wellness and how you've gone down this path to eventually write this book. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. I'm really excited about this book and sharing this with everybody because it has been a very uh, a lifetime journey for me of of really uh, looking at all aspects of wellness, everything from the mind, the body, and the spirit, and bringing those into one and creating an, a holistic perspective there. So for me, it really started out as a as a young child, just loving movement so much. I just kind of came into the world wondering and getting curious about what this body could do. And so I do crazy things like stand on top of the metal frame swing set, scare my parents and do all these crazy gymnastics moves before I even learned gymnastics. And finally, my parents were, were like, well, we really are, don't want her to get hurt. So let's just put her in gymnastics for a little while and she'll she'll probably get tired of it and then decide she wants to do something else after a short time. Well, that actually lasted from the age of five until 22, that gymnastics career. And so I really had, you know, it was an athlete for most of my young life. I would be in the gym for four hours a day, six days a week. During the season, we'd have uh, competitions every weekend. We'd travel from city to city. So it really became, you know, it was very fun. It, it was, it taught me a lot of discipline, but it also became a job after a while, you know, it just became that for me and my identity. So um, it was, it, you know, I learned a lot about what the body could do. And at the same time, I, I created an identity with what I could do, you know, that was mm-hmm. who I was. So that led to having like, crisis of self when I was in my early 20s and when I had to retire from gymnastics. And it was really a wonderful thing to be able to move on to something else in my life. And at the same time, I was like, who am I? You know, <laughs> who am I now that I'm not not a gymnast? I'm doing all these things that are impressing people, you know, and and all of that. And, you know, because it is a special thing when you can do something that not, not a lot of people can do. And it, it, it makes you feel very, you know, very special in that way. So, so I had to let that go and I had to find out really who I was, which wasn't a gymnast. That was just a part I was playing. And so that led me to, you know, after, after I had kids in my early thirties, I started having digestive issues and really wondering, okay, I can no longer control my health the way I thought I could through just movement practice, just a good movement practice and working out hard. I need to learn more. I need to learn more about this. And so this led me over to the Czech Institute. I had picked up Paul Czech's book, How to Eat, Move and Be Healthy. And it blew my mind because... I was like, oh my God, you know, at the time, this is before organic, this was before whole foods and all, all the things we know now about food and, and high quality food. It blew my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, there's a difference between conventional food and organic food. Holy moly. And then, and then I was like, oh, gluten-free. That's okay. I, I started to learn about gluten-free. My gut started to repair. I started to feel better in my joints. I started to feel like I had more energy. My digestion got better. And I was inspired to teach other people this, 
And so I brought that into my personal training practice at that time. I had graduated from Georgia State University with an exercise science degree. So again, I had all of that physical experience of how to train the body, but I didn't actually have yet the experience with uh, the food component and then even deeper, the emotional, spiritual, mental components of that too. So to make a long story short, it led me down a path after reading Paul's book and then going to some of the nutrition and lifestyle coaching certifications that he offered. I started to realize that I really was curious to learn more about, you know, how this all worked, how I could heal myself. And then I felt like I was better equipped to help my clients and other people with these tools if I could do it for myself. So I began to learn about emotional coaching. I took uh, this course with the uh, Journeys of Wisdom group. John McMullen was teaching that and he would teach us how to navigate our emotions and how to basically help yourself through that first before you, you help someone else and how powerful that can be to just learn how to move the emotions through the body. There's so many ways we can do it. We can do it through breath. We can do it through movement. And we can also just do it through acknowledgement. So there were different tools that we would use to learn how to do that. And because a lot of times, as you probably know, Laura, we hold emotions in the body and this can create a lot of distress. This can create even disease over time. And so I knew this was a very important aspect that people weren't talking about. And I would see it in the gym. I would see people even just do hip lifts and then start crying. And, and they were surprised, you know, as to why that was happening. And I'm like, well, yes, you're, you're moving this energy through. So I started to, to discover how powerful that was to slow down and to notice those things. And so from there, I started to get, get into the spiritual aspects too, through energy healing, learning about pranic healing and, and using that in my practice as well. I don't do that anymore. But that led me into so many other things about learning the energy system and the body and how it related to the physical body and those kinds of things. And so that's what I uh, wanted to bring uh, to people with my book is how to integrate that physical and energetic body into true holistic wellness. I love that. And it sounds like what you did is really peel the onion, you know, going from that physical to really, really recognizing there's such an intersection between the physical and emotional and spiritual. And that the most potent thing is that we have control, you know, that we have the power within us if we know the tools. So my next question would be is, how do you define empowered wellness? And like, like how is that different from wellness or self-care we might see in social media? Yeah, it's it, there's a big difference. Self-care, it, that term is really thrown around a lot right now. And it's great. It's great that people are starting to consider that and explore that. And at the same time, it's it means so much more than what we're giving it credit for, right? To me, empowered wellness is taking ownership of your wellness journey. And the self-care aspect of it is that you are creating a self-care practice on a daily basis. So you don't, it, it's not necessarily what we associate self-care with, like getting your nails done. And, and although that's great, I think you should give yourself whatever you need. At the same time, we do want self-care to also include, you know, just taking time for yourself, prioritizing yourself on a daily basis. 
taking yourself on what I call a wellness date every day. You know, that could be anything from a walk outside in nature. It could be a, a, a yoga session. It can be a workout session with weights. You know, you could go into the sauna and do a, a sauna session, a, a meditation. It really, it could be anything. It could be just sitting down at the table with a delicious, nutritious meal and, and just focusing on that, you know? So that was what I wanted to also help people realize was that this is so much more than we make it. It's not, it's really starting to pay attention to what you aren't seeing right now within yourself, right? So can you tell us a little bit about like your own self-care, what that looks like on a regular basis? Yeah. I have to have time for myself every day. Otherwise it just I just, I know myself enough to know that it's, I get irritated and, and just, you know, grumpy. And I just don't, I, you know, I need to carve out that space for myself. Otherwise I'm, it's not going to be a good day for me. So basically I, I'll give myself time to either. And sometimes it's, it's really kind of different every day. Uh, sometimes I'll do a sauna and I'll do a, what's called a vocal toning session sometimes in the sauna. So I'll put two things together. I can, I, I do meditation in the sauna as well. Sometimes I'll, go for a walk outside in nature. Some days my husband and I will just take a day to go on a hike together. You know, you can bring your wellness date. You could bring an actual date with you on your wellness date. So there's mm-hmm. another way to do it. Sometimes I just lay on the floor and relax for about 10 minutes and do nothing, you know, or I, I scheduled time for myself to work out on certain days. So it could be a stretch session as well. So it really could be anything. It's, it's up to that person though, to decide what works for them because I know, and you probably know, Laura, in the fitness industry, we're, we're constantly told what the right thing to do is. And I think that it's time for people to decide that for themselves and just mm. play with different things because there's so many ways to do it. It's just up to that person what really resonates. But we're told that we have to do it a certain way, but you don't. It's very open that way. So what I present to people in the book is why not make your wellness journey a creative process, you know? connect with your creative process in this whole thing. It doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be restrictive. It can be very joyful. Yeah. I mean, I I know my kind of thoughts about this, but I'm curious what you think about why it is that people do have such a hard time with this idea of self-care. Oh, that's a really good question. Actually, I'm so glad you asked that. I think it's because we are holding out on ourselves on so many levels. We don't know how to love ourselves. We don't know how to receive love from other people. You know, it's not to say that there's something wrong with people not knowing how to do that. We haven't been taught. So, so there's this, this stigma about like, okay, you're a better person if you, if you give so much of yourself to other people without giving back to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a suffering thing. That's a, you know, a sacrifice kind of way of being. And that's not really, in my opinion, it's not a real virtuous place to be. I think a virtuous place to be is to honor yourself and give enough back to yourself so you can give to others. So the whole giving and receiving energy is a little bit misunderstood. You know, if you have a hard time receiving love from people, receiving gifts from people, receiving compliments and those kinds of things. Those are the like things to notice within your life. Then you're going to have also a hard time giving without obligation, right? Mm -hmm. There's always going to be that burden of like, oh, if I give this, 
you know, somebody's going to, somebody's going to need to give something back to me or, or whatever. But if you can receive, then you know what it's like to receive when you give someone something, right? Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah, it is. And it has always been something that I've been so astounded by, quite frankly, from working with so many women, in particular mothers, who just feel like their role is to be the caregiver of everyone else. And 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 if they spend any amount of time on themselves, there's a lot of guilt. And I think that's just a conditioning. And I really feel like even if you logically know it, you have to practice this idea of like being able to receive, to receive help, to ask for it, to not be the person that does everything, to not have to show up for every PTA meeting. By the way, I never did, right? That was just not my jam. And I I knew it. I mean, I was going to be there for my kids in other ways, but that was not the way. And I, I've had people who literally feel guilty about coming and doing a yoga class because they should be doing something at home or something at their kid's school. And and I've always thought, why? Why? Like, you, you know, you're going to be a better mom if you take care of yourself because you're going to have a lot more space and a lot more generosity. A lot of times too, as women, as mothers, like we take on this role of mother and we have this idea of what it should look like based on what other people tell us, what's been passed down, our judgments, you know, toward each other and and our judgments that we get from other people. And, you know, that that is all about identity. That's all about ego to some extent, you know? And so for many women, for many mothers, it's hard to get past that, especially, I mean, you are in a caregiving role when you have your kids, you have a certain level of responsibility, obviously, but then there has to be that balance, like you said, with self-care of honoring your own needs so that you can do that for your family, so that you can do that for your kids. And then you can become a role model also for your kids so that they can learn that, hey, it's actually valuable to take care of yourself. This is important. My mom's doing it. So it must be important, right? Otherwise, then you actually teach your kids to self-sacrifice their own needs for other people's. And that's not necessarily uh, ideal either. So, you know, that would be kind of where to start. Like, are you like, ask the why, why, why am I feeling like I need to go to all these PTA meetings? Is it because I really want to, or is it because I feel like I have to, you know, Mm-hmm. And I would just start there with everything you do as a mom. You know, of course, we have to do things as a mother to take care of our kids. But like like what you're saying with the PTA meetings, you don't have to go to those. <laughs> yeah. There's things within that that you yeah. can. You now, know, on the yeah. other hand, just to be fully open to the possibility, there are single moms out there, single dads out there without the luxury of having support financially or emotionally, maybe even working more than one job. Like we can we can sit there kind of like on our pedestal a little bit when we have the luxury of these things, but how do, how do you speak to the people who literally are just trying to kind of make it through the day and don't have a lot of energy to spare? And so self-care just absolutely seems indulgent. Yeah, that, that is a good point. And it's because we're all in different places and being a single parent is really tough and you know because you're you're doing it all yourself i would say that in really both situations whether you're a single parent or not just 
uh, open yourself up to support? And where can you find support in your community that would help you take off some of the burden of that and and help you be able to have some of that self-care that you need? If your kids are in school, you may have a little more time, but if you're working, then you might not. So it's up to you to decide and to kind of take the time to breathe and and look at the bigger picture of okay where can i find support within my community and and how how can that happen you know because i think we all need each other we can't do everything by ourselves and even though sometimes we feel like we are by ourselves we always are there for each other too there's always some way i believe that you can find support in your community so that would be a thing to look at you know do you have family nearby who could help out do you you know, what are your resources, I would say, is the first question. Mm-hmm. Now, in your book, you say we are naturally designed to thrive, and that's probably irrespective of these other kind of conditions. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yes. I feel like we are born to thrive, but we go through life. We get we go through things that, you know, we go through traumatic experiences, we have certain experiences in life where we learn things uh, from other people that might not be true. We get a, a lot projected onto us, ideas, opinions, all these things about our bodies, about our potential. But ultimately, we're born into this world meant to really thrive. And we have all these natural things that our bodies do, our natural technology that just kind of does everything very easily and, and doesn't need that much help to do it. So, but we tend to make it complicated because the ego wants to make things complicated many times. So really it's simple. We, we, are, we are already like perfect the way we are. It's just a matter of realizing that, you know, and, and healing ourselves, healing some of the past trauma that we have gone through, healing, you know, some of the ideas really coming into our own perception and how we perceive the world and owning that. Those are ways to be able to, you know, thrive because you're, you're, you know, you're, you're really connecting with your true essence, like really who you are. And I think that's so important because we kind of get, we kind of get tricked into thinking, oh, this is, we're we're so limited, you know, we're so limited. And we we get all these ideas about ourselves and based on other people, what other people say to us and, and, and all of that. But the reality is none of that might be true. You know, (laughs) a lot of it might, you know, not be true. And so you can always realize that, hey, you know, there's so much more, there's so much more potential within that. So what I do in the book, where I lead people is to really help them strengthen their imagination and open their curiosity to their inner creativity. I think that is going to be what ultimately saves the world, I think, is, is that people are going to be able to think more creatively and outside the box about their lives you know, but we have to get out of these limited mindsets first. And I think that's what surviving is. It's a very limited mindset. We're kind of always, you know, pushing through and we're not seeing what's not being seen. Like, what are you not seeing right now? Right. Thriving, I feel like, is like noticing the beauty in your life. It's noticing all the stuff you didn't notice before. Mm-hmm. The synchronicities, you know, and this kind of journey can really lead you there, that wellness journey. And that's why I, you know, even if you, no matter where you are in life, you can start moving toward this. This is possible for everybody. Some of us have bigger challenges than others, but it is possible. 
I was going to say on that note, if say you're working with someone or someone comes to you and they are in a, they're in that state of suffering and, and it could be called limited mind, but they're just feeling suffering. And it could be in the form of apathy, lack of direction, lack of creativity, lack of joy. What is, what is like a few tips for getting kind of out of that stagnant state into at least some forward motion that can start some of these other things? Yeah. Well, gosh, everybody has such an individual place with that, you know, and we all, I mean, it could be anything we, you know, I would say assess first, assess where you're at. Like, is it, are you, are you balancing your blood sugar properly? Are you, you know, do you have all the basics first of like what your body needs to actually thrive? You know, Mm -hmm. the foundational stuff, I would go there first and make sure you're eating high quality food. You're eating uh, it frequent enough for your body. You're getting enough sleep. You're getting enough movement. You're breathing uh, slow and low, like in the belly, in the diaphragm at times, you know, you're, you're becoming more aware of that. And what are your thoughts like? What, what kind of media are you consuming every day? Where does your mind go first? You know, those, those basic things I would, I would look at first and just see where you're at with that. Because some of that could be very easily addressed and changed. And then you learn a new skill. You learn a new skill and how to take care of yourself. And then once that's learned, then you can move on to the bigger things. Like maybe there's some a history of trauma there that, that needs to be addressed and, and you want, you're ready to take it on because now your body's physiology is strong enough and resilient enough to handle that kind of thing, right? So we kind of, we just want to take it one step at a time, I would say, because you're, we're taught to just take a pill and, and kind of, you know, I guess disconnect from it, but that doesn't, that's like a bandaid approach, you know? So, you know, and I'm not saying for everybody to just immediately deal with your trauma because that might not be the best thing for someone too, because they might not be ready for that. They might have to take other steps to get there. But, and everybody's on a different path, but again, like always address those foundational aspects of your health first before you go into anything else. You know, are you drinking enough water? So many people that I work with don't drink enough water and we, our body is made up of 70% or more of water. And this is how our, you know, information in, in the body gets communicated through and, you know, you know, the electromagnetic conductivity of your body is also within that water in your body. So again, like these little things, they seem like really small things that don't matter, but they matter a huge deal. They're a big deal. So, so I would say like, get, make sure that, you know, have a, I have a checklist in my book actually that you can go down and make sure that you are hitting those six foundational principles of health first. And then, so you can move on to bigger things. I like that because it's true that the foundational stuff, it's almost like creating the homeostasis that we all crave from a cellular level cellular level out. Then you can go to more macro, right? But you can't really go macro if the foundation is, is flimsy. Right. So you say it's important to know your default state of mind before trying to improve. How can, what is a default state of mind and how do, how do people know what their default state of mind is? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the default state of mind is, I call it the default mode, uh, the default mode. And it's just wherever your mind goes first, like 90% of the time, where does your mind go? 
Does it go into negativity or does it go into optimism? You know, are you looking at the world as glass, glass half full or glass half empty? You know, most of the time. And again, no judgment for that. I just want people to notice where they go, you know, because what you're saying to yourself and the majority of the time, like whether you're criticizing yourself, judging yourself, criticizing others or judging others, those are all, that's all a part of the reality that you're creating as you think it. So we are that powerful. And so what I would like to invite people to do is to start to change that. If you are going real negative most of the time, could you change that pattern a little bit at a time and begin to invite that more, you know, optimistic mindset in the mix? So, you know, you would want to say kind and loving words to yourself, you know, and again, nobody, not everybody's ready for that because for various reasons, either we've been taught that's not right to do or, there's something happened in our life that we don't feel that way about ourselves, and we feel like it's not genuine. So if you need to take the steps to feel better about that, there's things that I help my clients with and that I've learned through some of my coaching certifications that, you know, you can do a, a story work thing where you go through old stories and, and then, you know, see where that start to kind of integrate those stories, feel the stories that haven't been felt. And then that's also a helpful tool for, um, so integrating it and then and then kind of it dissipates. It doesn't have the hold on you that it once did. So things like that are very helpful. Journaling, those kinds of things for understanding why you are saying that to yourself. Like that might be a good question. Like why am I saying these, these things to myself that aren't loving, aren't kind? Could I begin to start saying more loving and kind words to myself, you know, and stop criticizing myself for making mistakes, which everybody makes, you know? Mm -hmm. So default mode is just like where you're at, like just assessing where you're at most of the time with your mindset. Yeah. And I think it's so important to realize that, um, you know, out of habits, out of conditioning, out of environmental, out of genetics, we do tend to have certain ways that we view the world and view ourselves. And they can be pretty hardwired. And, you know, one of the, one of the very early pieces of advice that I got that was like kind of earth shattering in a way was in, in dealing with people that say that are in your lives for a while and you love them, but they might kind of bring you into that more default state just because of that's the environment. And I think it's so important to realize you're never going to change those people. But what I learned is you change your response to it. And that's so powerful. That changes everything. So for people that are really feeling like, say, you know, your mother was a big complainer and very critical and all that, and you have kind of been a little bit of a victim of that, and yet you're also doing it, you do it to yourself. And it's like, you're not going to change your mom per se, but if you change the way you respond to it, that will change the energy and the power that it has over you. And that, in essence, will lead to the change that you won't become that and you won't be affected by it in the same way. And that's where, again, we go back to this empowered wellness is we have this infinite capacity for change. It, it doesn't mean it's easy, but it it's there. If we know we can be solely responsible for ourselves and in a way 
kind of unburden that we can be responsible for anyone else. Because even at the end of the day with children, how they end up is somewhat luck. You don't know like what's going to happen. It's just like, okay. You just want them to make good decisions. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. It's just like, that's all you um, can do. So I think that that is a huge thing. But for a lot of people, that is a change. And that is that is something they're not habituated to, used to, and that can produce a lot of fear. So how do you guide people who are resistant or fearful of change? Yeah, this is a big one, fear of change, because we're all fearful of change, I think, to some extent, you know, but change is inevitable. I mean, it's always going to be here with us. So my advice is let's make peace with it the best way we can and embrace it because actually it is a good thing. Uh, you know, it's a it's a sign that we're evolving. We're, we're going, things are going to change. This is just how life goes. Um, yeah. And like you said, like there are so many patterns, there's so many ancestral patterns that get passed down from generation to generation. Uh, of negativity, you know, and self-limiting beliefs and those kinds of things, because what gets, you know, projected onto the next generation is just the, the fears of the, of the parents before. So, and their beliefs as well. And in order for you to break that cycle, you have to step out of that, right? That's the only way we can do it. And so we're doing everybody a favor by doing that. We're doing our ancestors a favor and we're doing our future generations a favor as well by, by stopping, like breaking that cycle of negativity. And not to say that you don't want to be realistic and, and approach things um, from that standpoint, you know, from an authentic place. It's just recognizing and, and being having a higher level of discernment between those old family patterns that have been passed down from generation to generation. I mean, I grew up in the South, uh, the Southeast United States, and, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, people pleasing and, and, and talking behind each other's back. Oh, and amen. I'm things. from North Carolina, honey. I mean, yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. So I had to break Bless out of your that. heart. You're such a bitch. <laughs> Like, this is confusing, you know, yes, as a young right. person. That's a mixed like, message. So confusing. I'm just going to coat it with a little sugar and then <laughs> stab you in the back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, some people really mean well, but then again, they're, they've been taught like to stay small, you know? And so that's mm-hmm. another thing. It's just like, and then, then you think, okay, this is how we're, what life is about. I'm supposed to not, not celebrate my wins or, or, or you know, tell anybody that I'm happy about something or be excited about it, you know, or, or whatever. It's just a downplay all that, right? Because I need to play small when that is, you're not doing anybody any favors by doing that. You actually might wake some people up if you don't do that. So, or you do the opposite of that. And so, so I think that it, it takes courage. It really takes courage to step outside of that uh, cycle because you know, to some extent, we really want to belong to our families. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a survival mechanism. And, you know, but at the same time, we can honor our families and still be who we want to be, become who we want to become, live the lives we want to live, and both do that and honor our families and love our families. But again, it's, I think, you know, it's up to you, but I, I decided I wanted to break that cycle. And it was really fantastic because then I'm like, wow, yeah, that's, and again, then when you get around people like that, you're, you, you can see like, wow, they're doing that. That's interesting. You know, like you can just kind of appreciate it for what it is because everybody's playing their role in this. Mm-hmm. And 
they're where they're at with it. And so if you can just kind of look at it like a play or like everybody's playing their part, it makes it a little bit less stressful and serious and, and more creative, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking as an example to those, if you were listening, like, I think it's good to notice the things that have been passed down to us, whether it's subconscious or very obvious that are creating fear because, you know, we can either operate from fear or we can operate from more of a space of love and, you know, abundance, feeling an abundance, not that you have a lot, but that you see a lot, that you appreciate a lot. And so my husband and I both came from families for different reasons that had some level of fear of, you know, financial fear, like that there wasn't going to be. So my mom was a daughter of a depression era um, baby, grew up quite poor, living in a one bedroom apartment and like, you know, shaving off things, you know, like, and, and even though she married my dad, had a really good career and they never wanted for anything that is still in her DNA. Like it is there. She's got plenty of money now, but, and, and she does, and she'll spend it, but there's just little things you see that little child who grew up with this depression era mom is still like it, just comes up. Like it's illogical. She'll never run out of money, but there's that fear of losing running money. And then my husband was raised by a son of a man who escaped the Holocaust and his whole family had to start over. And there was a lot of that fear of not having enough money. And we consciously were like, we're not going to be that. Like, we're not going to, you know, we're going to be super responsible. We save, but we're not going to live in this, this, you know, small mindset, fear mindset that, oh my gosh, you know, and it, it changes everything. Like you can kind of decide and understand why. I mean, they both had lots of reasons, real reasons in the world to be frugal, to worry about money. That was real stuff that we are so privileged. We're not having to deal with to that degree, but you can, that's just one example of how you can decide, like, there's a fear that my parents, my caregivers had that I'm not going to carry through and let it impact my life. And, and that could be in the form of making sure that you feel safe financially, but that you're also, you have a comfortable and positive relationship with making money and with saving money and with spending money, you know, when you need to, like, it's just, it's all part of it. So it is really fascinating how we, we can overcome this fear of change and change is changing patterns that have been passed on or modeled. Yeah. It's an old book on the shelf, you know, that we just keep up there. It's our subconscious, these subconscious stories that we're still living from the past. And that's why in my book, I I say, you know, uh, you know, rewrite that story. Is it really true? Is it happening right now? You know, it's so many times we have these stories, these subconscious stories in our head, like even though you are aware of it, like, yeah, she's, she's aware that that's why she feels that way. It's still something that is driving the car. You know, it's like that underlying thing, creating worry, anxiety around money. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to take that with you. It's, it's baggage. So like you said, you can, you can switch over, like, again, even the next generation, even realizing that, you know, the stories of your, of your parents or their, their parents, you can not take those with you. You know, you can kind of leave them, leave them behind and, and let them have that. Um, yeah, I mean, some, I mean, but you know, it's, it's resolving trauma really is what it comes down to, right? Yeah. I mean, that unresolved trauma stays with you until you resolve it. 
mm-hmm. quite simply. And it's and it, it can be an energetic thing, an energetic shift in a person. It could be quite easy, but it's just a matter of becoming aware of it, acknowledging it, and actually feeling it, you know, letting it move through because sometimes it's just stuck. Mm-hmm. And it's just there with you all the time, and you're not you're not breathing it in, you're not integrating it. So that would be, yeah, that. So and I think for then, people who are struggling, like you know, we were conscious of it, but say yeah. people are not as conscious of like those patternings or the yes. the books that are still living on the shelves. I think the prompts that I'm imagining you have in your book for journaling would be super helpful because a lot of times what we might not observe with our eyes we have stored in our body and can come out through prompts of a journal. Like we don't, you yes. know, just start writing. So can you talk a little bit about your prompts in your book and how, how you would recommend using these for this self uh, care and wellness? Yeah, I, I, I did that intentionally because I did want people to switch over to the right brain a little bit more in this book, instead of so much intellectualizing and, and information taking in, it's more about like, feeling and, and, and integrating, but also, you know, reflecting a lot of reflecting. I want people to be able to do that because rarely do we really spend time on that. And so I take, you know, the first part of it is aligning the mind and I take people through certain, that's more of the foundational, bigger pieces of journaling, really getting clear on your values, your default mode, creating a vision for yourself and how to do that. And then we get into, and we, you know, journal and make art from that as well. I have like an art project for using your imagination muscle. If you would like to do that, you can either do it digitally or like do it, you know, with your hands and some paper and and all kinds of stuff. But then we move into connecting to the body. So we want to ground the body into the ideas that we just created and the mindset that we aligned with. And then from there, and so that's not as much journaling, the connecting to your body aspect, but then when we get into listen to the spirit, um, then I want people to become a little bit more reflective. And the reflectiveness in the last section of the book is um, not as heavy journaling as it is in the beginning, just because again, that's your foundation right there. But then as we get into the spirit, I wanted people just to become more etheric in that, in that part and just really reflect on really what, where they stand and how they um, experience their own spirit. Cause you know, everybody experiences it differently. We take information differently. We receive differently. You know, we feel energy in our body differently. So I want, I would, I wanted to invite everybody to discover how that looks and feels like for them. So it take you through some lighter journaling through that aspect. So now that's how, that's how it goes. Yeah, oh, that yeah. sounds amazing. How, I'm curious, how do you define spirit? Yeah, so gosh, I've had such an interesting couple of years being with this. My my dad passed away in February 2020, and that's I, I wrote a dedication to him, and I was able to be with him and uh, help him pass away at that time, and so how I experienced it was it was it's it's really interesting if you're with someone who passes away sometimes there becomes like a transfer of information or a transfer of consciousness and that's what I felt like at that time happened to me and I felt a big shift with my spirit my energetic self I was oh, I started opening up more to a lot of things I hadn't been seeing before a lot more lucid dreaming things. And I'm still doing a lot of that right now. And so 
it has been a really awesome journey because what I do believe is I, you know, I think we're all capable of these kinds of things. It's just a matter of how we close ourselves off. And so as we open up those channels again, we start to align everything, then, you know, I think that we're all going to be able to have these abilities to see more than what we're seeing right now within our own lives. But for, for me, spirit is my essence. It's really, it's my, it's my energy. It's the energy I bring to the table. It doesn't necessarily tie in with my identity. My identity can change in any moment. It's, it's really, you know, it's who I am truly, you know, and, and the body is this vehicle for the spirit. So they work together hmm. and it's a really beautiful thing, you know? Yeah, I love that. I, I totally echo that. And that's beautiful. Well, this has been such a treat, Allison. Tell us where we can find out more about you and this amazing book, which sounds <laughs> like you. everybody needs to purchase Finally Thriving. Thank you so much, Laura. I, you can go over to finallythrivingbook.com is my website. I also have another website, pureenergypdx.com. And of course, you can find my book on Amazon under the title, Finally Thriving, Your, your Guide to Empowered Wellness. And I'm also on Instagram, pureenergypdx. You can find Amazing. me in all those places. Yeah. Well, best of luck and congratulations. This is really like, this is bringing energy forward your energy, your spirit into a really tangible form that can help others. So I appreciate so and honor much. your work. Yeah. Thank you. I, can I, can I say one more thing, Laura? Of course. I just, I just realized that I am also <laughs> creating an online program. It's a companion program that goes with the book. So you know how they do, they make movies out of books. A lot of times this is going to be a, a way that you can make your own movie from the book. So you can create your own journey and, and you know, I'll take, I'm going to be uh, coaching as well in the online program. It's going to be a 12-week online coaching program that's going to start in April and it's going to be with the um, books. So, yeah. Oh, amazing. And that can be found <laughs> on that on, on one of your websites, finallythrivingbook.com and you can just set up a, a initial consultation with me if you want to participate in that and and yeah, it's it's going that's to be so exciting. much fun. I'm yeah. going to have guest speakers on there too. It's it's going to be amazing. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, congratulations. And thank you so much for taking the time out to talk about your wonderful book today. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's an honor and a pleasure. You're so welcome. And for all of you listening, as always, I'm pulling for you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.